welcome to the Elevate Live podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. start this part in the service by saying some really positive things that God says over us. So the words are on the screen and just say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up, say it like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name, amen. Give yourselves one more big hand. You can be seated. Thank you to those of you that are watching online as well, that for some reason, um, 11 a.m. was still too late, even after daylight savings. I get it. It's the worst day of the year for me. I lost an hour of sleep. That's a little bit of a struggle. (laughs) So sometimes I feel like we've been, we just been, if you're new to our church, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I'm Josh. I'm Pastor Keith and Sheila's son. And I help, I help lead a little bit here. And um, they're in, they're in Bogota. Hey. Yeah, we got a cool team and that's y'all clapping for yourselves. It's wonderful. Uh, my parents are in Bogota, Colombia this weekend with a, with a new friend of ours named Gustavo Paez. He actually came and spoke at our most recent revival that he did. It was really powerful. And so, uh, so there's been some amazing things happening in Bogota, and you'll, you'll hear all about that next weekend. And we've been in this flow as a church. We've been talking about supernatural all year. Uh, we're continuing that by talking about just living in the supernatural. And one of the things I think God does is we get so busy and we get so focused on everything we got to do. We get so focused on uh, what's next for us and all the weights that we're carrying and trying to figure out all kinds of the, all of the different kind of things that we're figuring out that I think there's certain times where God just slows us down and says, hey, just chill out for a second. And uh, I, just wanna, I just want you to understand how I feel about you. And I think today is one of those days. And so whatever, whatever that you're um, carrying in your mind, and whatever it is that you are super concerned with right now, let's just take 30 minutes in our life and let's not think about that. And let's think about how God feels about, feels about us as individuals. Think about how God feels about you as a person because that's what we're going to talk about. And we're talking about living in the supernatural and the, it's not a question, it's a statement um, about it. Uh, the title of my message, talk, conversation, whatever today is what happens when I mess up with a period at the end, not question mark, with a period. What happens when I mess up? Because like we're all a mess and we screw up a lot if we're honest with ourselves. We screw up in ways that are seen and unseen. We mess up in ways that people see and ways that people don't see. Some of us in this room and some of us that are listening to this message right now, um, we are in a point, we are at a point in our life right now where we're feeling really ashamed of ourselves. Maybe we've blown up a relationship. Maybe something hadn't worked, worked out the way we intended tended to. Maybe we're looking at our life right now and we're thinking, man, I've wasted so much time and I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to redeem that. And I'm at this point and how can I ever, how can things ever be better? How can things ever be different? And I feel like Jesus, Jesus addresses this. So in Luke chapter 15, there's a story and, and what happens in Luke chapter 15 is these people uh, called tax collectors 
and uh, other notorious sinners, according to Luke chapter 15. And if you have your Bible, um, you can go there. If you don't, there's a, there's a Bible in the sky. And there's also notes you can look at. We didn't do handout notes this weekend because um, I don't like paper. I'm weird about it. So if uh, it's like sometimes I'll have meetings and people will print out things to like hand to me. And I'll just say, you can keep that. I'm weird about it. So uh, that has nothing to do with anything except to tell you, you can go to live.elevate.life and all the notes are on there. That's what, I'm, that's what I mean by that. For some reason, I feel the need constantly to qualify myself and what I think. So anyway, <laughs> so Luke chapter 15, there's, there's this, this story and these people are mad at Jesus. They're mad at him because tax collectors, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Verse 2 says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So they're not, they're not super happy. They're like, Jesus, you know, I'm a pastor. And uh, that's what a Pharisee basically was back then. He was a religious leader. He was a person you'd look at and say, He's a pastor. He knows a lot about the law and the word and what, what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, look, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with some of these people. Like they are notorious for having drama. They're notorious for having issues and bad company corrupts good morals. And we need to make sure you're in a, in a better place with that. And Jesus goes into these three different stories, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. So I encourage you to read the whole chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter today. But in verse 11, he goes into this story about the lost son. Now, this story is called the story of the prodigal son. If you grew up in church or if you've been around church for more than a week, you've probably heard this story before or, been, or somehow familiar with it. So it says in verse 11, to illustrate this point further, his point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. And a few days later, his son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted his money in wild living. So this guy said, dad, you're really rich. You got a lot of money. You're really successful. You're going to die someday. And that's cool. But I don't want to wait that long to do whatever it is that I want to do. So I want you to divide everything that you have. Give me my money and I'm going to go live my life however I want. This, this father in this story did not argue with his son. He didn't try to justify anything. He didn't say no. He said, okay, he gave it to him. And the son goes and he wastes, he wastes the money on wild living. He lives a crazy life. When I was a kid, there was uh, these, these, I don't even remember what they were called, but there were these cartoons that had, uh, they had like Bible stories and Bible characters in them. And there were these really crudely drawn cartoons, but it was kind of like all we had. And, uh, and so it shows, it shows this guy kind of like partying and you can, you know, he's drinking a drink. You can tell it's like wine or whatever, whatever they, they drunk back then that was hard. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't even know, like the brown liquor. I heard brown liquor is a thing that's like really, like that's the hardcore stuff. I have no idea. Like I'm a, I'm a teetotaler all the way. Some of you need to look that word up. But I don't know nothing about nothing as it relates to that. So anyway, this, guy's, this guy knows everything about everything. He's in all the drugs. He's living all the life. He's living the lifestyle. He's doing all that stuff. And then the, and then the economy goes south. Stuff gets real bad. Great famine swept the land. That's what the Bible says. Like there was all of a sudden no money, no food, 
no nothing. And this guy started to starve. He ran out of money. He started to starve. And so he finds, this guy finds the only job that he can. And the only job that this guy can find is working for a local farmer taking care of the guy's pigs. So, hey, I need you to go feed my pigs. Now, I don't, I've never fed a pig. I'm not in FFA, never been in FFA. Never auctioned a pig off, never auctioned any kind of livestock off. But I can, I can imagine, but I kind of can imagine that's not really something I would ever want to do, right, is, to, is to, to feed pigs. Like a friend of mine that graduated from our internship, she's all about that. Her name's Allie, and she loves pigs. She takes care of pigs, raised pigs, all, all into like the pig world, so she'd probably be able to tell me what that was like. But I cannot imagine that feeding pigs is a glamorous job on, on any scale of jobs that you would want to have. So the Bible says that this, this guy... He was so poor, he was so jacked up, he was so messed up, he got so hungry that even the food that he was feeding pigs, which again, I imagine is not food that you and I would want to eat, the food that he was, he was feeding the pigs uh, became appetizing to him. He looked at it and he was like, man, that's, I'm starving and the food that I'm feeding these pigs is better than what I can eat for myself. And, uh, but the Bible says no one gave him anything, so that's unfortunate that he didn't get to eat the pig food. In verse 17, the Bible says that he finally comes to his senses. And some of us have had situations and moments like this in our life. We're in the midst of our drama, in the midst of our crud, in the midst of the situation that we've put ourselves in. Because this guy totally put himself in this situation. It's not anyone else's fault, not anyone else's problem. No one abused this guy. No one gave him an excuse to live this lifestyle that he was living. So there's no other fault in this except for his own fault. So the Bible says when he finally came to his senses, he realized that at his dad's house, even the servants get treated better than he's, than he's being treated. And he says to himself, he says, hey, I probably can't, I can't go back to my dad and be a son because I've dishonored him and I've disgraced him, but I can probably go back and work for him. I can probably go back and serve my dad and if I, if I just grovel before him and if I apologize, maybe he'll let me come back and be, a part of his, and be a part of his house. So he goes and he, he goes to his dad's house and he's walking down the road. It says he returned, he returned home to his father and while he, was, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now this to me is the craziest part of this verse if you even pay attention to human relationships. The father saw him coming. This is the same son that took all his money this is the same son that's been living this wild life. This is the same son that is a total reprobate idiot. And when the father saw him coming, the Bible says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Now what the son is thinking about in this moment is I gotta apologize. I gotta get this apology out. I've gotta repent, I've gotta repent. And so he, he looks at his dad, right, and he says, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's trying, to, he's trying to say, hey, look, I'll just be a slave. Like, I'll just work for you as long as I can have something to eat, as long as I can just, just like, live, as long as I can just make it. I'll come back, and I'll work for you. But his father doesn't even say anything to him. Verse 22, the father says to the servants, bring the finest robe in the house. Give it to him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the, kill the calf we've been fattening. We're throwing a party right now. There wasn't a meeting. Let's not gather all the family together and air our grievances. This isn't, this isn't, hey, let's talk about the drama like all of us would do. 
I don't know about you, but I've had some relationships that haven't gone well, that, that, that there's been people that have said, hey, I wanna, I wanna come, I wanna talk to you and I wanna apologize to you. And I've said, look, we don't need to talk because I wanna hear their apology. I just don't wanna see them again. <laughs> right? That's the truth. Like there's, there's some people for, for all of us that like we don't ever wanna see that person again. And you know, maybe, that's, maybe that's forgiveness. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it is, but maybe, maybe, that, maybe that is our version of forgiveness or it's our version of trying not to have issues in our life and go back to that season of our life. But you can, some of you can imagine, maybe as a parent, like your kid goes and they totally dishonor you and they disgrace you and all of a sudden they show back up in your life and they're asking for forgiveness. Like, hey, like that's cool. We can forgive, but there's all this other stuff, bro. I mean, you took half my money. I don't play with my money. I play with a lot of stuff, but I don't play with my money. That's, that's where the dad could have gone, and that's where most dads would go, right? It's where most people in relationships would go. It's like, hey, sorry's fine, but sorry doesn't cut it. So his son is apologizing. He's trying to apologize. The dad doesn't even listen to the apology. This is Jesus saying, this is how I operate. Dad doesn't even listen to the apology. He just says, go get a bunch of stuff. Let's throw a party. Son's feeling ashamed of himself. He's feeling like total human garbage. He's like, I've just wasted everything. I've wasted so much of my time and I'm so sorry. And I just have to say this to you because I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. And the father's like not even processing the apology. He's just filled with so much compassion. He says, my son who was dead has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And then we have this story of the older son. Older son's not super happy because he's the one that stayed. He's the good son. Now in our, in our mind, in our human mind, the good son is the one that should be getting a, an extra blessing because he stayed and he was obedient. This guy's out working in the field, serving his dad. This other son hadn't been doing nothing. Just been, I don't even know, hadn't been doing nothing. That's a double negative, but you get what I'm saying. Wasn't doing anything. That's a better way to say it for my English teaching friends in the room. He wasn't doing nothing. <laughs> so this son had not contributed to the family one iota. This other son had been making it happen, been doing the work of two sons, building the business, building the family. And all of a sudden he's coming in from the field. He's had a long day. He's been working and he hears a party, walks into the party and he sees his brother and he's, his brother is dancing and he's in the middle of the celebration. Now you can imagine as, as the good son, like most of you are, it's the good kid, you're the good one, you're the one that stayed. As the good kid, how you would feel about the bad kid all of a sudden getting blessed. Like what? Like I've been here, you hadn't thrown one party for me. So he looks at his dad and he says, how, how, could, we, how could we do this? What's going on? And his dad says, well, your brother was, your brother was lost. We're celebrating his safe return. And, his, and the brother's angry. So his father, he left. He wouldn't go to the party. His father came out and he begged him and he said, please come back in. All these years we've been waiting for your brother to return and he's lost, but now he's found. So there's so much in this story. And the reason why I'm, I'm telling you this story is because this is how God deals with you when you mess up. Some of us think that obedience really matters and that's really significant and that our, our responsibility is to please God. Like I gotta make God happy. That I have to, I have to earn his compassion. And I've been raised in church. I've been raised reading the Bible, 
I listen to worship music, all that kind of stuff. But I still in my mind have this thought process that says there's no way if I don't get past this issue that God will have compassion on me. And there's no way that God will run towards me. But Jesus, Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, and all of us in this room, we're, we're in, um, whether we're in McKinney or we're here, we have probably everybody that can hear my voice has an experience with church. We have an experience with Christians. We have an experience with, that means we're very experienced with very judgmental people. They're really great in making you feel like you're not good enough and you're not obedient enough. And God is not happy with you. And God is mad at you. And that's why bad stuff's happening to you in your life. Because God's not super happy about the kind of life that you're living. But what Jesus says is I hang out with the most notorious sinners. And the most notorious sinners are the people that I run towards. They're the people that my heart is filled with compassion towards. That when they're walking down the road, now most people don't get to this place. But when they're walking down the road and they decide to apologize to me, apologize to me, I don't even think about that. I'm just thinking about how much, how much I love them. And I'm just thinking about how much I'm running towards them and how much I care for them. And I don't care about the life that they've been living. And I don't care about what they've been doing. I don't care about what all that looks like. All I care, is, all I care about is that they want to come back to me. And that's what Jesus says, is that he is the one, right, that, run towards, that runs towards them. While all the Pharisees are over here saying, hey, you're hanging out with the tax collectors and you're hanging out with notorious sinners and you're hanging out with all these people that got all these issues. And Jesus, you should be spending your time with people that don't got issues. Now, Jesus is the guy that can see everybody's heart. So he knows we, you know, like you give me another box to check. It's just another box I'm not going to check. Right. You give me another thing I got to obey. Sorry. Another way to disappoint you. That's how that's how it's going to be for me as a person. So the, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, and here's the revelation we have to understand. A lot of us have been in church. Maybe you haven't been in church before. Maybe you don't really have an understanding of what God's grace is. Ephesians chapter two says that God saved us by his grace when we believed. So if I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins, I'm saved. He saved me by his grace. And I, take, I can't take credit for that. Paul says it's a gift from God. Salvation, Paul said this 2,000 years ago, Salvation, right standing with God. That's what salvation means. God loving you. God being for you. God having compassion towards you. God running towards you is not a reward for the good things that we've done. And some of us are still, we've been, we've been serving God a long time and we're still living our life like, like something in our life that God does for us is gonna be a reward for the good things that we've done. And that us having right standing with God is going to be because I got up today and I read, my, I read my Bible. I did, but it was Leviticus and I hated it. What in the world? I'm sitting there like, I'm sure someone can, have, can, can find some kind of revelation or application in this. But the other day I read 59 verses on skin disease and I'm not sure how any of that applies to my life. Unclean, leave him outside the camp for seven days. They must be consecrated unto him and then bring him back into the temple and kill the animal and whatever. It's like, it's all the same thing. You just do this and you kill the animal and then you wait and then you, you know, whatever. All right. It's a paragraph that could have been a sentence. Thank you. So, 
Salvation's not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So his father had all these plans for his son. All right, if you're a parent, like, like you know, I have, a, I have a daughter now. She's a little bit over one year old. And I just think about all the good things that I want her to experience. I think about the kind of life that I, that I want her to live. Like, I'm not planning out her life for her, but I think about that. So you think about the father in this story, that he had this plan for his son. And, his, and his, his son was a masterpiece to him. And his son decided to go live whatever life he wanted. Well, then the son came back. The son didn't have to earn anything. He didn't have to re-earn his place in the family. He was, already, he was already in the family. Some of us in this room right now, we're spending so much time trying to forgive ourselves. We're spending so much time trying to move past it when God's like not even there. Trying to, we're, we, we, we read that verse, hey, like I don't have to earn it, but then we go back to the Old Testament and it's like, man, all those people had to earn it, so I'm sure my earning matters. There's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament for a reason. I don't have time to get into all this. I'm not, I'm not up here today to teach, to teach a theology class, but here's one of the things you got to understand if you are a Christian in this room. The Old Testament is old for a reason. That's an old promise. That's already been fulfilled. We believe that Jesus came and Jesus himself said he is the fulfillment of the law, which means all the stuff that you had to obey because there was a time in history for ancient Jews, not for all of us. The Old Testament was written for ancient Jewish people. Now, if you're not an ancient Jewish person, it's not written for you. The whole thing, it's not written for you. There's some good lessons in there. There's some good stories. There's some cool things that happen to some people, but that's not for you. That already happened to those people. Now, none of us in this room and none of us that are gonna hear this message and none of us that are alive in 2019 are ancient Jews. So that old stuff doesn't apply to us because guess what happened? 2,000 years ago, this guy named Jesus showed up and he said, you can, you can place your faith in me and there's two new commands that I'm giving you. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Fulfillment, all the law and the prophets is fulfilled in these things. And some of us that have grown up in church, we're so... We're so trying to, to, to live right and we're trying to make it right and we're trying to make it happen and we're looking at this set of laws. Like if you ask me what I read today in Leviticus to obey it, I wouldn't even remember it, right? It's chapter after chapter. Don't go read it because you'll never read the Bible again. It's a chapter <laughs> after chapter after chapter of laws you have to obey and things you have to do and the process you have to go through to make sure that God does not kill you. And that's not the way that it works now because this guy named Jesus showed up and he said, this is the way God wants to deal with you now. This is the way God wants to operate with you now. This is the way God sees you now. So what's old, the word testament means covenant. The old promise has already been fulfilled in this new person. So there's a new promise that God makes to us. And the new promise says grace. And the new promise says you don't have to worry about earning anything with me. You don't have to worry about whether or not I'm gonna run towards you in the midst of your drama and in the midst of your issue. You don't have to worry about whether or not God's sitting, on the, sitting up in, in, the, in the throne, on the throne with a hammer and gonna hit you over the head. You don't have to worry about that because the decision's already been made. The decision was made 2,000 years ago. Now that's a scary proposition for those of us in this room who are really trying hard to earn it and feeling really good about ourselves and feeling really self-righteous because guess what? I had a good day today. I didn't fall prey to that temptation today. 
and I said one less curse word today than I said yesterday. Man, God must be really happy with me. And what God says to us is that I'm already happy with you. I'm happy with you right where you're at. Now that's scary for those of us that have walked with God a long time. If you're new to church, that should be so comforting to you and set you free from, from this point forward. We're going to talk about it some more, but it should set you free to understand God is not mad at you and he never will be mad at you and he never was mad at you. Sometimes people are mad at you and they try to turn their personal anger into God's anger and that's not really how it works. So it's okay, just let that go. Be at peace in that. Know that there's a God that created you that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, before you were ever born, he said you were a masterpiece. He said you were a masterpiece right now, not a future version of you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 doesn't say you will be a masterpiece when you get all this figured out. Paul says in Ephesians that you are a masterpiece. There's a gift that God offers to you that you can accept, and no one can boast about it. Now, I've grown up in church cultures and in church environments where people sure love to boast about uh, the fact that they're earning something based on how they live. Like, man, I pray an hour a day. That must, that must really mean something to God. I'm sure it does on some level, but God still loves me the same regardless. I can't make him love me anymore, and I can't make him love me any less. So like I said, like I said when I started today, in the midst of all your press, in the midst of all our drama, in the midst of all the stuff we're trying to figure out, trying to qualify ourselves, trying to make sure that our destiny happens, trying to you know, attain to something that we feel like God is dangling in front of us. That's not the way that it works and let's just have peace. Because for me, like, I just, I just wanna talk about the real deal and the real stories that Jesus taught today. Say, this is how God deals with people. You're gonna hear a lot of things there's a lot of different things that people think. There's a lot of different stuff that's out there about, about how God operates. But Jesus himself said, I'm the one that when you screw up, I run towards you and we throw a party. Amen. So in this, in this story, how long, right? How long did the, was the sun around before they threw a party? Like an hour, two hours? They didn't, really have to, they didn't really have a conversation. You know, it wasn't like, hey, son, the dad wasn't like, hey, son, tell me all the stuff you did with your money because now I'm going to hold you accountable. And the time has come to pay the devil his due, all that kind of stuff. That's not what happened. He said, my son's returned. Let's throw a party. It's over. That season of his life has, has come to an end. And we need to stop judging ourselves. We need to stop, we need to stop living by other people's judgments of us. We need to stop thinking that because because people feel like we've missed it with God, that for some reason we have missed it with God, because God, God, God has you exactly where he wants you to be right now. But more, but more importantly than that, you're exactly who he needs you to be right now. You don't got to be one thing different for God to feel about you the way that he feels about you and to run towards you the way that he's running towards you. So there's this guy named John Newton, and he was born in London in 1725. His father, John Sr., was a shipmaster and his mother was the son of an instrument maker. His mother died of tuberculosis two weeks before his seventh birthday. At age 11, he started sailing with his father and began his shipping career that would be marked by dishonor. At age 18 in 1743, his obstinance and disobedience 
caused him to be forced into service in the Royal Navy on the HMS Harwich. So back then, you could, if you were a bad enough citizen, if you're a bad enough worker, they could force you to join the military. So they forced the dude to be in the Navy because he sucked so bad. During this time, he's in the Navy. So first ship, got kicked off. Second ship, joined the HMS Harwich, joined the Navy. Uh, and you know how hard, some of you have been in the military, you know how hard it is to try to get kicked out of the military. So during his time, he tried to des desert and was continually punished. He once received eight dozen lashes while tied to the grating on the deck of the ship in front of the crew of 350 people. John Newton resolved after this incident to murder his captain and commit suicide by throwing himself overboard. And before he could do that, they transferred him to the slave ship Pegasus bound for West Africa. So they said, you're so bad, we can't even do nothing with you in the Navy, bro. We're going to send you over to this ship. Now, back then, working on a slave ship was about as low as it got for, for a person who is a sailor. Now, you think John Newton, man, thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it work because i got to make it work with people. But on this new ship, so now we're on the third ship, Pegasus, he, openly mocked the he often openly mocked the captain by creating obscene poems and songs about him that became so popular that the rest of the crew would join in. He had several major disagreements with the crew that led to him almost being starved to death multiple times. He was imprisoned at sea and then chained like the, sl chained like the slaves that they carried. In 1745, he was outright enslaved by the crew of his ship and was abandoned in West Africa to work as a slave for a man named Amos Clough. It's not going great for old John Newton right now. Amos Clough then forced John into slavery where he was mistreated and abused along with Clough's other slaves. In 1748, at age 23, now this dude has had a lot of screw ups by the age of 23. Not, not looking too, too good from here, buddy. Age 23, he was rescued by a friend of his father who was a sea captain on the ship Greyhound. I think that's the fourth ship now, right? Aboard this new ship, man, John Newton's gonna change his ways. John Newton gained notoriety for being one of the most profane men the captain had ever met. In a culture where sailors commonly used oaths and swore, Newton was admonished several times for not only using the worst words the captain had ever heard, but creating new ones to exceed the limits of verbal debauchery. In March of that year, a violent storm came upon the ship that was so rough, it swept overboard a crew member who was standing where Newton had been moments before. John Newton was then asleep in his cabin and a large burst of water came right through the wall and woke him up. He spent the whole night furiously pumping water off the ship's deck, trying to keep the ship from going under. Some of his fellow sailors lost their lives, but he managed to survive. In the midst of the storm, he cried out this very simple prayer. He said, Lord, have mercy. He was struck by his own words, for he had little to no time for God and cared little for mercy. They made it through the storm, and two weeks later, he was reminded of his prayer, and he could not shake the memory of it. He began to ask if he was worthy of God's mercy or in any way redeemable as he had not only neglected his faith, but directly opposed it, mocking others who showed theirs, deriding and denouncing God as a myth. He came to believe that God had sent him a profound message and had begun to work through him. 
He began to read the Bible. And from that point on, in his own words, he avoided profanity, drinking, and gambling. But he continued to work in the slave trade. Around 1749, while in West Africa, he asked God to take full control of his destiny. He later said that this was the first time in his life that he felt true peace. In 1754, he suffered a severe stroke and was forced to retire from the slave trade altogether and began serious religious study. He started writing songs and poems and became a sought after preacher who mentored many young figures in England. One of these was a man by the name of William Wilberforce, a member of parliament who had recently suffered a crisis of conscience regarding slavery and a religious conversion and was, and was contemplating relieving, leaving politics. The younger man, Wilberforce, consulted with Newton, who encouraged him to stay in Parliament and serve God where he was. And John Newton was instrumental along with William Wilberforce in abolishing the slave trade in the British Empire. Later in life, John Newton came out as an abolitionist and he said, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. In 1763, he wrote, I was greatly deficient in many respects. I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the world, in the full sense of the word, until a considerable time afterwards. Many argue that the greatest legacy that this obstinate, disobedient slave trader, John Newton, left on our world was an autobiographical song that he wrote that was published in 1779 by the title of Amazing Grace. This wasn't just a gospel song, it was this guy's life story. The wretch in the song Amazing Grace is not just you and I, or it's not just John Newton, but it's you and I. Word wretch means a despicable, or contemptible person, an unfortunate or an unhappy person. How does God's grace deal with us? What does God do with us? What does God do with you and you mess up and you're at the worst of the worst? Because here's, here's the thing that I think all of us know. It's something at least that I know. So I can, put on a good, I can put on a good front with everyone. I can make people feel like, hey, things are working and I got, and I got my issues solved. But I got stuff deep within me that has, that has still that I still feel like disqualifies me. I'm ashamed of, disappointed in, I'm upset by it. I look at myself and I go, I don't know how that's ever gonna get fixed. I don't know, I don't know how I'm ever gonna get past that. That's a person who, you know, like I don't have a lot of drama. I don't have a lot of issues in my, my mind. I don't know, compared to some people. Then there's some of us that are sitting in this room right now, like we, we just don't even understand that God could ever love us based on what we've done and based on how people have treated us. John Newton was a reprobate individual. He was a guy that you would look at and go, there's no hope for that guy. That guy's gonna be lucky if he doesn't die in prison. Then God grabbed a hold of John Newton, ran towards him and said, hey, you're coming with me because I got a plan for your life. Out of that came this song that has transformed the world that we've sung for hundreds of years now. It's just as true today as it was in 1779. God used this guy, a guy that was in the slave trade to abolish slavery. 
God used him to write this song that's gone, that's gone to all over the world. And so Jesus says in the story of the prodigal son, that's not just a great story, that's how God works with us. When we're at the lowest of the low, when we're screwing up the most, we have the most drama and the most issues and things aren't working out at all, God says, I'm running towards you and my heart is filled with compassion. And you should not feel anything else from God except that. Not just now, but all the time. Like I said, you don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. You and I in this room, you and I that can, that can hear this, you and I especially that have a relationship with God, it's not about earning one more thing. God's already given us the gift. I hope that today you can see yourself as a masterpiece. I hope you can understand that right now where you're at, in the midst of your drama, in the midst of all the stuff that's not working, that God still chooses to see you as a masterpiece because he created you. Now here's the important thing. There might be people that are sitting out there that say, well, like what, why does obedience matter then? Because God really cares about how we are with each other. This new covenant thing, it doesn't, it's not about our relationship with God. The old covenant was. The way God used to work before Jesus showed up, it was all about, hey, make sure that you do the right thing so that God isn't mad at you. Now God is saying, I'm not mad at you, but why don't you make sure other people aren't mad at you? Why don't you just live like I, why don't you live like I want you to live so that, so that people around you can experience the same love that I have towards you that they don't deserve, they don't have to earn, but you just run towards them. That's, that's what the world needs. That's what we need. That's what you and I need. So today, I want us to stop. There are times where we're, we're in seasons of revival and we're pushing and we're trying to make stuff happen and we're building stuff and we're going for it and all that different kind of stuff. And I believe in all that. We're pursuing God with all of our hearts and God is saying, I'm like right here with you. You don't have to go find me. Like you don't gotta go find him. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to experience his grace. And that, that really starts with just us, us understanding this amazing grace that God has given to us. So my, my prayer today is that we would be in a place where we could just stop, like just stop, just chill out for a minute and just let God, let God just deal with you where you're at. Let him deal with what's in your heart. Let him deal with the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the way you judge yourself and the way you beat yourself up and whatever it is that you carry that some person said to you or what that person did to you or what your last experience in church was and what all these imperfect people did. Just stop all that. Stop focusing on all that and just focus on this perfect love that God has for you because he's right there and he's running towards you with compassion and he's not asking for you to apologize to him. He's not asking for you to justify yourself. He's not asking for you to even change one thing. Just accept his love. So what I want to do right now is I want, us, I want us to practice that. I want us right now to become John Newton in our own way, because we're all our own John Newton. And I want us to sing this song together, but sing it like we mean it. And I believe that God's going God's to give us a revelation of his grace. All of us know this song, Amazing Grace. All of us know how, know how it goes. I want to invite you at this moment, whether you're, whether you're here or you're in McKinney, I want you to stand on your feet. Because I, I just want you, in the midst of you and I, in the midst of whatever it is, in the midst of however we're feeling, I want us to press pause on that just for a few minutes and let God deal with us. 
and let God speak to us. And you don't need, you don't need me to talk to you anymore right now. You just need to let God, you just need to let God speak to you. So let's sing that together. we just, we thank you today for your love. God, it doesn't make any sense. It's really hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to fathom that in the midst of our mess that you would just run towards us. God, I pray that we would have the confidence and security to know that when we are at our worst, God, you're at, our, you're at your best. I pray that those of us in this room today that really need a revelation of your grace would have it, God, that you, 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 know, you know where we're at. You know what we're struggling with. God, those of us who's, who've been legalistic and those of us who've been trying to just earn it and trying to you know, be right of our own self-righteousness, God, I pray that you'd help us be free and to let that thing go. God, I pray that those of us in this room today, those of us who can hear this, whether we're in McKinney or watching online or whatever, God, I pray that in our hearts you would just speak to us and you'd help us release our own personal guilt, our own shame, 
our own condemnation, God, the way that we judge ourselves, the way that we think you see us based on how we see ourselves or what people have said about us or what kind of damage we've caused in life. God, I just thank you that your word says that the best is yet to come, that our ladder is going to be greater. God, that you have a great story that you're telling through us of your grace and of your love. And I pray that we'd walk in that. What I want everyone to do that can, they can hear my voice is to just, just bow your head and close your eyes with me because I want to give you an opportunity. Some of us, we're just, we want to have a revelation of that. We want God to speak to us. If grace is a gift and you're the recipient, you got to receive the grace. You and Jesus need to have a little bit of a conversation where you just accept it. And you don't earn it. Because 2,000 years ago, there's this old way of doing things that says you got to qualify and you got to be obedient and you got to follow all these rules that are impossible to follow. Then Jesus came and he said, no, I love you too much. I've already, he's already forgiven us. He's already helped us to let it go. He wants to give us this gift of grace, but we have to choose to receive it. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm, I'm not gonna do anything weird. I just wanna count you in a prayer. And I want you to, to raise your hand just as an act of surrender to God to say, you know what, I wanna, I wanna embrace this grace. I wanna receive this gift right now. I want my life to be right with Jesus. I want my life to be right with God. I want, I want God to run towards me right now with compassion because I know he wants to. You can just put your hands up wherever you're at, whether you're in McKinney or here in Frisco. You can put your hands down. And I want everyone that can hear my voice to just pray this prayer and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for running towards me with compassion and love. Right now, I accept your gift of grace. I pray that from this moment forward, you would lead me, you would speak to me, and that everything in my life would become new. Be Lord of everything that I got going on. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.